It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 109 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Cassandra and Norman from Lord of the Rings Minute were able to come back for a third time to talk Pirates of the Caribbean. Great. And we Woo-hoo. didn't even have to throw him in the brig. Yeah. We didn't even have to like press gang you into service or any of that crazy stuff. You just willingly returned. And what? I figured that after tackling the extended edition of Fellowship of the Ring, you'd probably be running for the hills when someone asked you to actually guest on their show. So I guess we're honored and appreciate you joining us. <laughs> I mean, I, I only speak for myself, but I actually love guesting on other shows because, well, A, it's not like lord of the rings it's like it's kind of like refreshing to talk about other oh. stuff. um and i just i just like talking about things that i like so thank you guys again for having us yeah, on here it may not be that apparent but i really like the sound of my own voice <laughs> <laughs> that just could very well be the title of this episode <laughs> So I know we've talked quite a bit about Lord of the Rings, and I know you've had some other podcasts, but yeah, let us know what's happening with Fellowship of the Ring one last time and some of your other shows and kind of plug that stuff. So we've been covering uh, the Fellowship of the Ring uh, one minute at a time, just like Scott and Heather have with Pirates. Uh, we're doing the extended, and as of this recording, we are like 40 seconds shy of finishing Fellowship, which is very exciting. Um and you can find that at lordoftheringsminute.com or duelinggenre.com. Are you going to go into a hiatus during yes. when season one ends? Are yes. You? yes. <laughs> Definitely need some time off. The extended edition of Two Towers, I think, is going to carry us into over or just at a full year of weeks releasing content. Mm-hmm. Get out of wow. here. Wow. Because yeah. we started Fellowship um september like mid-september of 2016 and i believe we're going to be done with like i don't know how we're going to do the credits just yet but i think we're going to be done in like either the end of june or the beginning of july uh with fellowship and both of the other movies are longer than that so yeah we're definitely gonna take a break Since you're doing Lord of the Rings, though, have you heard there's theories floating around out there trying to link, say, Legolas to Will Turner? Oh, is that At like least Han the two Solo's, films, Lord of the Rings, like, Empire? Like Han Solo's, yeah, dream? yeah. I've read stories or articles that say that people are out there doing this. I haven't actually read any of those because I've been purposely trying not to look at it because I started to develop my own independent ones and I didn't want to be spoiled by it. Mm. And then I started reading recently. I saw where people were linking them and I thought, oh man, somebody's already beat me to it probably by years and years now. So yeah, I was just curious if you've actually heard that. No. That's something that we'll have to develop and then uh, somehow 
Leave I have them. to. There has to be some really compelling argument for me <laughs> to to buy into any sort of cross universe <laughs> pollination like that. Now, is compelling a tattoo that... <laughs> <laughs> we found his tattoo. <laughs> we do see his tattoo in there, and it has some oh, really? elfish writing yeah. on it. Yeah. When he's oh. fighting with Jack. So is that compelling enough? I mean, Norman, are you willing to just say it right here? That, that is compelling enough. <laughs> so we're talking about the tattoo he has in Elvish. Because yeah. He, yes. Because all of the members of the Fellowship yeah, get a tattoo matching tattoos. after they were done filming. Yeah. Oh, it is after they were done filming. Yeah. <laughs> I, believe Maybe I believe it's after. So I don't believe. Yeah, I think you're right. It was after. I mean, not, I don't, I don't remember where it is. Most, I think most of them got it on their arms. His, on the inner side of his wrist. So you wouldn't see it in Lord of the Rings anyway, even if he had it, because Legolas wears long sleeves always. Yeah. Well, are we ready to get to underwater skeletons and yeah. all that mm-hmm. kind of good fun? All right. In the previous minute, the long con duo cursed Captain Jack Sparrow, who is now one Aztec gold piece richer, and the all-still-too-rash Will Turner arranged with Barbosa a 25% stake in Jack's future plunder. But the cherry on top that pirate Sunday was not the return on investment, but something that obviously has a much greater monetary value. Something that must be so rare as to woo the master trickster himself, a hat. A really <laughs> big hat. Minute 109 begins with Captain Barbosa ordering his crew to take a walk. As the crew grunt, laugh, and growl, Jack asks, not to the boats? The minute ends with the cursed crew walking underwater along the sandy seafloor with the HMS Dauntless overhead, transitioning from human to skeletal form as they walk through the moonlight. Yeah. This is like the trailer shot of the movie, mm-hmm. the end of this minute. Mm-hmm. I think it was the right. trailer I ever saw. Yeah. It's a really cool shot. Yeah. Yeah, and it made it upset Peter Jackson. Yes, yes, it did. I'm actually like really glad that it 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 um you just happened to be on these minutes when you invited us on, because this this is the scene that ties Pirates of the Caribbean to Lord of the Rings is Peter Jackson's rage, and <laughs> because I haven't heard about the rage, so, so you have to tell us about it. The special effects of the the kind of skeletal zombie pirates is the reason we have less of the undead army in Return of the King than we kind of should. Mm. Especially in the theatrical. Yeah. Really? What, because why that is effect, that? Because that effect is very close, and this movie this movie came out before Return of the King dropped into theaters. Yeah. Like, what, six months before? Yeah. Less than? And the effects are very similar. And Peter Jackson talks several times during the commentary of Return of the King about how he was kind of upset that they beat him to the punch on the effect. <laughs> Because he was Ooh, really proud really? of how it looked. He really loves it. And he thinks that it looks great in, those, in, in this movie. But he's really sad that his movie didn't come out first. Yeah. Because people oh, will. No. Uh. Because he was worried that if he kept too much of it in, people would be like, oh, he's just ripping off the, that Pirates movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Even though a lot of the production work was done before Pirates was done. <laughs> that's a bummer, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because then that's what happens. People then start to compare it to, well, this is just an offshoot or taking off what was successful or what the iconic image, like you said, this was in the trailers. This is what I think a lot of people remember the imagery of them walking under the water there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brought it home. It, like, I think the very first trailer I ever saw for Pirates of the Caribbean, if I recall correctly, was pretty much just a short, like 15 second TV spot of like this walk and then coming this summer, Pirates of the Caribbean. 
And that's it. So now Peter Jackson hates it, huh? That's the whole the whole <laughs> gist of that. Yeah. It it he was just really upset that he couldn't do with the the undead army all the stuff that he had wanted to. Yeah, do you think that that really would have happened though? I, I don't know. I mean, would it critics aside, but say for fans though, would that have really do you, oh, I don't know. Heather's yeah. shaking her head yes. Yeah. Because she forgot that this is a a podcast show, not a video <laughs> podcast. I do that all the time. I like I make thumbs up. I I make hand gestures and shake my head. I do all that. Me too. <laughs> yeah, because especially with them being so close together. Yeah, they can't yeah. They came out the yeah. same year. I think yeah. that if if they were a little bit further apart, but this was like the middle of summer and then Lord of the Rings came out like at Christmas. Or even if they were like really close. If it was like within a month, it probably yeah. would have been left alone. Mm. Well, yeah. at that point, you can't change it. Right. Well, I mean, they had planned the release dates for all the Lord of the Rings movies way in advance. Right, right, right. Because they mean, did the like, filming all at once. Like seeing seeing pirates over the summer and being like, oh, crap, we need to take some of this out. Like you have right. still some leeway to do that. Yeah. But. I don't know. I wonder when the trailers first started for Pirates. Because when the trailers first started, mm. there's probably still time to edit the yeah, movie. The teaser trailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they had been coming out within a month or even like two, three months of each other and not six, Peter Jackson might have felt that he could leave it because anyone who went to the theater would be like, well, obviously it was too close for them to do anything about it. Yeah. Even though that wouldn't, wouldn't really be true with the way that Lord of the Rings was filmed and produced. Mm-hmm. Just unique to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, because even Jerry Bruckheimer, when he talks about this particular scene of them walking under the water... He, you can just hear how proud he is of it in his voice and how everything came together because he says just even six months before they actually were doing that, that the, it, they couldn't have actually made it happen like they did. And so he was talking about how the leap in technology, especially with industrial light and magic, that their computing power was there, that they were able to do something that really hadn't been done before which is put, say, flesh and have all these kinds of movements on skeletons that you hadn't really seen. Mm-hmm. And so he that was just something that he was really tickled with. And so I can imagine Peter Jackson was doing the same exact thing. This is going to be something that's really cool and new. And then he gets beat to the punch. And yeah. it's just, that's just like a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah. Like a knife in the heart. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> like the because the Weta guys figure it out separately from industrial light and magic. Right. Well, it's like a Tesla Thomas Edison thing. Yeah. Like it's two different people working. That's right. Very and I mean, things. And the effects aren't the same. Right. But they are very close. Yeah. They're very because similar. the uh, the effect in Lord of the Rings is a bit more zombie mm-hmm. and a bit less skeletal. Yeah. Yeah. But the effects are very similar, especially in presentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's just like a wall of them. Yeah. yeah. Gore Verbinski and the team, when they were actually looking at this, they were talking about how that this is all like a wet, dry or dry, wet composite. And they were also using a lot of machimation, which I think is probably some of the stuff that they were doing with Peter Jackson's film. I don't know how much you guys have gotten into some of the special effects stuff, but it wasn't like they were using a lot of motion capture suits or anything like that. For this particular movie, especially with Kurt, there's very little of it. And that was something that they're also always quick to highlight. Like, you know, this wasn't something that we had a bunch of people in suits or were tracking suits or on a soundstage doing capture performances. There's a little bit of that, like when they had people that were walking on sand 
to get that mimic of that look because when they were doing it in the motion capture, just walking on flat ground, you walk differently than you do on sand. So right. this is like one of the few pieces where they actually did some motion capture because they had to get people walking on sand and then they could composite that. And then they did like a matchimation, an animation kind of thing to do a lot of the transitions and the skeleton stuff. But yeah, it was fairly low on the the kind of motion capture stuff process for this movie, which is pretty surprising mm -hmm. given the type of skeletons and supernatural stuff that we have here. Yeah. They did do a lot of uh they did do a lot of motion capture work with Lord of the Rings, but they did also do like they took video of an actor running and then animated something to match that running animation. Yeah. Like the the movement of them running. But they did do a lot of motion capture with everybody as well. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that Lord of the Rings was famous for. I think that's almost what kind of propelled the motion capture to maybe everyday people hearing about it was just a lot of that work that was done in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, Absolutely, especially with Gollum. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I think that was probably the first one that I really remember is kind of making that a household kind of name. Yeah. If this motion capture was specifically Gollum. Yeah, because that's the um, it's the first motion cap motion cap character in a movie used so like interwoven into the way the movie was filmed. Because mm -hmm. Gollum is, I'm I'm interested to when we dive into Two Towers to really examine how much it holds up minute by minute. Yeah. But at the time, at least, it was incredible to see. I remember seeing it on the like seeing it for the first time and just being amazed that they made it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I actually had in my notes was to ask you because you're doing Lord of the Rings and you're seeing a lot of this. How do you think, I mean, does this underwater scene or the transitions of skeletons hold up, you know, say 14 years later? Um, I, I think the wide shot uh, before like the fishes move out of the way is still really, really cool. Um, but I think when they, the fish look really convincing, yeah, I think when you kind of zoom in on the individual members, it kind of falls apart a little bit, yeah, but I think Everything. that overall it's still I still like it yeah i th I think it still looks good, uh it looks a little bit better than the dry to wet scene we just went over with Sam underwater, oh oh oh, oh yeah, I was like, wait, what. <laughs> uh yeah we we just talked about a dry to wet scene in our movie, so it's kind of cool that we also. Are talking about one here? Yeah, because <laughs> we just recorded. Uh, we just recorded talking about Sam drowning uh, earlier very, this very week. End of the movie, yeah. Because I I agree with you, Cassandra. I think that it looks, and I had in my notes that when you're doing kind of at a distance or these wide mm -hmm. shots, it looks it looks good. But when you do get the close-ups, that's and or focus on the individuals. That's where you can see some of the animation that's coming through that maybe isn't quite holding up so much with some of the characters. Mm -hmm. It's also the way the sand kind of moves. It doesn't react to their steps the way I imagine sand underwater would. Yeah, that's true. That's right. And mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And that's again, because they were doing it on dry when they were actually capturing it. And that was, cause that was part of the motion capture that they were feeding into the, the computers to get some of that. Hmm. But yeah, I don't think that it, it, yeah, quite fits nowadays that they would do it but i do really i think it's because it really is that iconic scene that i really like just seeing that come and the pirates kind of come out of the shadows under the boat but it also reminded me of with the fish too is kind of like a finding nemo moment and finding nemo came out in 2003 too and so i was wondering is wow. disney like putting some kind of easter egg in there is that because huh. the way that the fish move i don't know just something about it always reminds me of finding nemo and i looked yeah. it up and i'm like you're right 2003. 
Is there a little is there a little blue fish with yellow fins in that group of fish? (laughs) (laughs) Dory's hidden. (laughs) Doesn't that take place like off the coast of Australia and we're in the Caribbean? Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the journey. It's an incredible journey he takes. (laughs) But that's definitely not outside the realm of what like Disney and Pixar do. That's true. Yeah. Should really scrutinize that group of fish. I should say the biologist in me, though, I just really want to know how they are walking on the seafloor. That's what I did want to know. Because we're, we're talking Aztec curses. So I know that biology doesn't really come into too much of a play here with, you know, walking skeletons and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a degree of license we have to give them. But assuming they enter the water as skeletons, because... They're exposed to moonlight. That's kind of the assumption I'm making, how they get in there. It's hard to walk on the bottom if you're not weighted down. So unless all their pistols and their flintlocks and their swords and all that kind of stuff are weighing them down, how are they doing that? Well, the only reason that people float is because of all the air and empty space inside of our bodies. that's true. And so if you don't have skin, keep that in. So if they're just like skeletons and half-rotted flesh, that eh, they sink because there's no air in there. There's There's nothing to help their buoyancy. Yeah. I, I can suspend my disbelief for that, although... Yeah, but you have Jack and Will walking on the bottom earlier in the movie. Yeah. I don't understand how that works. <laughs> yeah, that was something we definitely talked about. Yeah. But this you, one, unless... You the... can't do that. You, you no. can't do what they did with the boat and without... Oh, I have tried. Without moving. <laughs> like, so many swimming pools and just, like, little floaties, like, trying to chug away on the bottom of the pool. <laughs> you, you can't do it. It just doesn't work. And I mean... We and we float easier in salt water right. than fresh water. Yeah. yeah, so that's what I was wondering. Unless when they transition from skeleton to say human form, that all that water is getting trapped inside their body is holding yeah. them down, maybe. That's my only explanation is that they're like reforming around the water and it doesn't like restore them to a, a nice healthy human state, but you're <laughs> at least yeah. weighted down to too because when they're not in moonlight, things can't pass into the holes that are there when they are zombified. Yeah. Like yeah. we see with the guy that blows up. <laughs> that's, oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So it would be left in there. So it doesn't automatically like take it out. So it must be the water is still stuck in there. But there like that would be kind of awkward if like they're walking around somewhere after doing this. But it's been a while since they've been in moonlight. <laughs> they walk in the moonlight and all the seawater just dumps Ew. out of the skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd want that more than if you're walking under the the ship there. And then if it does push out all the water and then all these like pirates are floating up <laughs> under the Dauntless when they're trying to be a sneak attack. And you got all these pirates floating around out there. I'm just imagining like Pintel and Rigetti now at the beginning of the movie sneaking around Elizabeth's house. Like they walk past a window and then you just hear a big sploosh. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth's just like, what was that? <laughs> That's gross. Or like when Barbosa steps out of the little dining hall with her. It's <laughs> 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 a little less threatening, yeah. but grosser, so maybe more threatening in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, some just, good sound effects in the water, though, too. I mean, we get cracking yeah. bones. I mean, that's always good. Yeah. Lots of moments for comedy if you think about their their bodies trapping seawater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or anything else. Like, just like these. Like. <laughs> someone could be. Someone could like steal something, stick it in their in their stomach cavity, and walk away with it, and no one could find it on their person. That's true. That's very yep. handy. 
Yeah, if I was so inclined to be a pirate now, I'm thinking I might want the curse just, you know, a little bit here and there. If I was so inclined to be that kind of person who would pilfer things, and maybe that would come in handy. (laughs) Not that I would do that. (laughs) My question about the curse is, did it cause them to rot to this state? Or because they no longer can die, is this just a reflection of all the wounds that they've taken since the curse? Well, I mean, I don't think it's over time because Jack immediately later on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. You can tell the difference. So I think it's just like, oh, you're a skeleton now. Oh. <laughs> Sucks to be you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what we kind of hypothesized when we were talking about it when we first saw the skeleton crew appear is that yeah because we were discussing is this something that happened over time or not but kind of the conclusion that we came to it's almost like a portrait of dorian gray kind of thing Mm. it's a reflection of their transgressions or their greed or consumed by greed and so that was just that inner reflection of that but for jack I don't know if it's like anybody that takes the gold from the chest is then cursed, even though it's like, I guess just a sign of even taking the gold means that you have some greed about you. So it's not necessarily because Jack is doing it for different intentions than just to take it. So maybe it's still maybe the heathen Aztec gods, as they say, didn't quite nail down the real aspects of the curse. (laughs) It'd be interesting to me to compare how deteriorated different pirates are and think about is that a reflection of how greedy or how bad these guys were? Well, I think that um, even though Jack doesn't take it necessarily out of greed for wealth, he's definitely acting from a place of selfishness. Um, and I That's think, true. And like yeah. self-interest. So I think that also kind of feeds into that. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. if he could just beat Barbosa in a sword fight, there'd be no reason for him to take the coin. Right, exactly. So the other day you mentioned about the bootstrap. And him being under the on the bottom of the sea, yeah. And about he feel like he's drowning all the time. But if you watch these pirates walk on the bottom of the seafloor, they don't seem to be suffering at all. Yeah, I think they got to be holding their suffering in because they know it's just temporary, right? Because they there's a reflex to breathe that they still have that. Right. It's not like it takes that reflex away. So they got to, even though they're now filled with seawater and all their <laughs> body cavities, they still got to have that reflex like they're drowning, I would assume. You would think you'd get more of a reaction, though. They're tough pirates. <laughs> <laughs> I think that maybe they've done this before. Um, and that's kind of why they kind of laugh when mm. Barbosa says take a walk. Um, yeah. I think that they've definitely used this tactic before to kind of ambush um you know either other ships or just other um island forts and the thing about bootstrap though like don't i don't think the moonlight would reach him if they just drop him right. in the middle of the the ocean yeah it would go down too far yeah so. um that's right and jack like when i mean not to get ahead of ourselves but i'm really bad about getting ahead of myself <laughs> like when jack gets shot later he reacts to it so i think that maybe early on like they they ditch bootstrap before they really figure out what this curse really entails um which kind of lends more like credibility to what he says in the second movie about you know making a deal with 
David Jones. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was just something that we recently were talking about is that exact thing. Because if bootstraps down there, the whole idea. Maybe he's not talking about drowning. Maybe he's talking about drowning metaphorically because he's all alone in total darkness at the bottom of the ocean. Sure, that would suck. <laughs> that, I think that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a like the because it does come back that that conversation in what Dead Man's Chest, I think, when we talk to Bootstrap Bill, or he talks about why he made that deal with Davy Jones. Yeah, yeah. To to get out of that, I think it's maybe both now that we now that you mentioned that yeah. that just eternal eternity alone at the bottom in the dark of the ocean, but also just feeling that kind of crushing pressure and feeling like you're drowning perpetually just is not a a fun, pleasant thing. It's probably also the feeling of the pressure that makes him feel like he's drowning because these guys have obviously trained themselves not to react. And they're not very deep, really. They're probably, what, like 30 feet or 40 feet down. Not like like Mariana's Trench. (laughs) Not like (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. Like, if they dropped him in the middle of the Caribbean, like, how far did he sink? Mm-hmm. How deep is the ocean there? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a geologist or an oceanographer. <laughs> right. We did something on that recently, and now I'm going to have to try and remember what it was. But yeah. the average depth, I think it was 2,500 feet, somewhere around that neighborhood. Yeah, something like that. It was the average depth. And then there was, a like, a, a trench out there, too, that goes down, mm-hmm. say, 25,000 feet. But just oh, even the yeah. average depth uh, was... Not good for bootstrap, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it it's really not that far before there's no light penetration. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. so, yeah, he's definitely not transitioning from skeleton to not. And that was actually something we thought was probably a good thing. Because the last thing you maybe want is to consistently be going back and being restored from human form to skeleton. And then you're back into crushing stuff. But maybe with the seawater being trapped inside you, maybe that's a better situation. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll have to like equalize, right? Yeah, exactly. And if he doesn't have, if he doesn't have seawater inside him, if he's not like that, then he does have to deal with the feeling of like, at least the physical feeling of drowning, not like the actual, this is killing my lungs side, right. but like the, the physical sensation of his body filling with with seawater still had to be there on the way down. Yeah, yeah. that was no, definitely not you. because <laughs> they do still they still feel. I definitely think they still that at the least the beginning they still felt that they lost it that they lost all the sensation over time mm-hmm. because if they didn't they would have noticed immediately if it was just all gone someone would have been like hey why don't I feel cold yeah this is not a good Thing. <laughs> like someone would have realized it a lot sooner than the next time they made port or the third time they made port or whenever they made port because they spent all the gold before they realized what the curse was. Yeah. That's right. And, and we were, I think part of it was is that Barbosa, well, we were asking, is Barbosa really that evil that he would knowingly throw somebody over who was going to spend eternity at the bottom of the ocean like that? So that was the question we were having. If he knew that before the curse or did he just, or did they just find out that to alleviate the curse, they needed to have a blood repaid? So we weren't sure which came first. You know, is Barbosa really that just, you know, kind of maniacal that he would really torture somebody like that? Or did they just find out about that afterwards? Checked with Disney and they said that they do feel, because this was a big topic on the internet and stuff, of, <laughs> and forums and things of like, you know, do they feel they don't feel because there's certain clues 
Like they feel wind or they don't or the warmth of her dress. And so people were asking these things like, is this a continuity or a movie mistake? And Disney says, no, they only feel unpleasurable stuff like pain and things that aren't pleasurable. But anything that would be considered pleasurable, they don't feel. Mm -hmm. And so that comes back to your question, Norman, is... Is this a gradual thing over time? Because you're right that they would notice like, hey, I'm not feeling the mist of the ocean on my face or the cool breeze anymore, or I'm not tasting anything. It's turning to ash in my mouth. Yeah. You think that that would be something that you'd go, you know, that's a little weird. Yeah. Is anybody else having this problem here? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe a gradual yeah. thing. And then it gets to the point that they can't taste anything or yeah. feel the way- some of those pleasurable things. Because the way Barbosa tells the story, it sounds like it's a gradual change. Yeah. And that maybe spending the gold is what really kickstarted the curse. It wasn't just the taking of it. It was the fact that they spent it. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a really good point. Because yeah. then you can imagine that like with each coin that you spent, then that is just like another tick on that mm-hmm. on that clock. Then you're, right. you're, you're like reduced by one level more until you're finally spent them all and you're at like the worst possible level of on that scale now because taking blood money is one thing that's spending spending it is another yeah that's right especially knowing it's blood money i also think that if he realized or really believed that the curse was real i don't think that he would have gotten rid of the one piece that he needed to to fix it like by sending bootstrap down yeah if he would have known he was going to need him or he would, or if he wouldn't, I think if Barbosa would have known for sure the cor- curse was real in the first place, he never would have mutinied. He never would have taken the treasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He loves apples too much for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Barbosa though, would have tricked Jack into leading the crew to take it. And he would have just sat back and then had them give him the coins. And then he could have spent them freely mm-hmm. without being cursed himself. Cause he is that kind of loophole guy. Yeah. That would have been a better idea. <laughs> That's almost more. Yeah, so he needed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, we get a good character arc with Barbosa from the first movie, even into the second and third movies of his character transition. And that's something that we always thought would be kind of an interesting, say, bonus episode or just a discussion episode to talk about Barbosa going from this really kind of villain to somebody who actually has more of a positive, not maybe so much on the dark side. Yeah. Hey, my favorite scene in this trilogy is in the second movie too. What's that? When Barbosa comes down those stairs. Oh, the twist (laughs) at the very end of the second movie. (laughs) Oh man. Oh yeah. When he's with Tia Dalma and yeah. Apple. (laughs) Yeah. He likes his apples. (laughs) It's just such a good moment. It, it's such a good like movie moment. It's not even like just a good moment in these in these movies. It's just such a good movie moment in general. Yeah, because I wasn't. I'm trying to think back of when I first saw it, but that wasn't somebody I was expecting to make a return. Yeah, yeah. Seeing it at midnight, um, and he comes down those those stairs. Like everyone lost their mind in the theater that I was seeing this. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it was just like, what? Because it's like three o'clock in the morning and he'd been like standing outside for like three hours waiting to see the movie. Yeah. So that was really cool to kind of... And he wasn't advertised to be in it at all. Yeah, no. In this particular universe, somebody hasn't really been resurrected as far as we knew. Mm -hmm. There was just skeleton pirates and that was kind of the big thing. Yeah. And so to see Barbosa come back was 
a nice treat, especially for somebody who really likes Barbosa. <laughs> I just, uh, I like the way Jack apologizes. I like the way he apologizes, like, immediately. With, like, little hand yeah. gestures. Yeah. <laughs> little hand gestures. <laughs> and how he's still kind of in that, he's still kind of in that stance when he says, not, not the boats. <laughs> that's the, well, that is, that's because that's almost like the, the second thing that's gone wrong with Jack's plan right now. Because the first one, it's that, well, Jack anticipates two things almost. And, or didn't anticipate a couple of things. One is that Norrington would take the longboats off the Dauntless and then hang out for an ambush when he expected them to just stay on board the ship and then be able to blast these pirates as they came out in their boats. So he didn't anticipate that. And then Barbosa throws this second kind of wrench into the cogs thing going on here when he says, take a walk and not go to the boats. And so that was just like, okay, his whole plan is going to hell right now and he needs to come up with something new. But if either side had done what Jack expected, but not the other, it would have not worked out. Because if they go out in the longboats and then the pirates come out in their boats, this doesn't resolve. <laughs> but if they That's stay right. and if they stay on the if they stay on the ship and the pirates don't come out in the longboats, this doesn't resolve. Because Norrington didn't trust Jack, and because Barbosa doesn't trust Jack <laughs> What Jack wanted happened anyway. Maybe that's all part of it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that is part of Jack's plan. Yeah. <laughs> Both of these guys are just going to do the opposite of what I tell them to do. He kind of has that child psychology thing going on now. <laughs> he knows that people don't trust him, so he just plays up that friendly kind of gesture where you start to go, boy, this is a little strange, and yeah. he should be angry <laughs> yeah. at me. And so you just automatically dis- you know, distrust him, and then he just pulls this maneuver, and then he wins. Yeah, because he, he tells Norrington, you know, stay here, fire your cannons at the pirates. They're going to come out of there. Mm-hmm. But Jack probably knows Barbosa's not going to do what he says. So yeah. And he knows Norrington's not going to do what he says. So Norrington gets off the boat and the pirates don't come out. (laughs) (laughs) And And that's why he needs to take the gold. (laughs) And then Norrington gets to ambush the pirates by climbing back on the ship from the water. Yeah. Yeah. It just all just wrapped up neatly. It's like it was almost written as a story for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's like someone had a hand in making this exactly as it is. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? There's one thing I did like. We get another return of that Dauntless just anchored off the coast yeah. in the cave, kind of that peering out. We get oh, that, that shot is cool. so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. That shot's yeah. so good right before the, the underwater walk. Yeah, the moon. Yeah. Oh, also, yeah, and that's uh, when you get the full moon pops up. This minute has the, the setup for the Pintel and Rigetti gag in the next couple oh, of yes. minutes. Yeah. Where that's they're right. like, they're ready to go take a walk too, and that big guy's just like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like Bosa's getting a um, great joy out of giving them the women's clothing. Yeah, because that's like a bookend to what we saw earlier is when they were first coming to the cave, Pintel and Rigetti are struggling to bring this chest in, mm-hmm. and then when they empty it, it has parasols and dresses and things, and Bosun happens to walk by and see these guys holding these parasols up, and Rigetti is actually twirling it, and he's just <laughs> thinking, you know, these guys are on my crew, and they're twirling parasols. They're supposed to be fearsome pirates, and now he kind of <laughs> gets revenge on that by, like, you guys... 
<laughs> I got a plan for you in this minute. Yeah. With the same stuff they dropped off earlier. When yeah. everybody else is bringing in treasure, these guys are bringing in dresses and parasols. So it was kind yeah. of an interesting twist. This movie is also a movie of teams. Everyone's in pairs. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, you read my mind. That was something we were just talking about on an episode we just last were. Last week. Yeah, last week yeah. I think it was. And that's. See, it's my genius. Obviously, Norman is a genius as well, and we've recognized this, and that's why we're coming to the same conclusions, but didn't even know it. I mean, so much of this story is about how each pair kind of works with each other, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. kind of separately from everybody else, but how it helps them like move on. Yeah, I think that the whole like comedic double act and like the the foil structure kind of is really interesting yeah because not only do these two characters like pintel and rigetti like complement each other and work together really well but they also are really cool parallels for um what the murtog and the other one and Mulroy, yeah Mulroy, yeah yeah so i like that there's like matched contrasting pairs with all of these characters, yeah. But who's the uh, who's the who's the pair to sit opposite of Jack and Barbosa? I don't know. Would it be Will and Elizabeth? Mm, that's, that's what, what I was thinking. thinking. Because Jack and Jack and Barbosa are at odds, and Will and Elizabeth are not. Yeah. Poor Norrington's on his own again. Yeah, Norrington's <laughs> yeah, on his own. Poor guy. <laughs> and there's also other pairs like Twig and Kohler. They're always together. And I haven't really noticed that in a bunch of other movies where you get so many pairings together. Yeah. It, it really is a theme of this movie is to have these different pairs working off each other. Yeah. I guess uh, I, I guess Norrington and Governor Swan. Because yeah. they are both kind of on that same by the book, fitting in with society. This is what aristocracy or the high society is telling us what we should do. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of pushing that element. Because all the pairs are kind of about sides they're and they're or about class and we have um murtaugh and mulroy who are like lower class soldiers and then norrington and swan are in charge of them Mm -hmm. and then will and elizabeth are on their own side and jack and barbosa are also kind of each on their own side but and they're opposed to each other but they're two people who are pretty much their prime motivation is their own personal freedom right and And that's that's it ties Mm -hmm. them together and that's what ties (laughs) them together what what did you say the, the other pair was Kohler? Is it Kohler, Kohler and Twig? Twig. They're the uh, a couple of pirate pairs the that, that are always seen together. <laughs> they don't yeah. tell anybody nothing. Exactly. <laughs> These are two. Yeah, they're in it for themselves for their own safety. Yep. But they're always working in conjunction or working off of, say, Pintel and Rigetti or Jack, and so there there is that kind of interaction that they have, which is kind of interesting. And then like Pintel and Rigetti are kind of. They're kind of, I don't know, they're almost like the audience's kind of stand-in on the pirate side of this story, where like Murtaugh and Mulroy are like the audience's stand-in on the military side of it, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're the more like common man yeah. kind of characters. Also, I think Rigetti and Patel are hilarious. <laughs> he just seems too innocent to be one of Proboscis pirates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you do, you do see him like, you know stab some people i'm pretty yeah. sure just like his mannerisms he's just like yeah he acts like a child <laughs> and yet barbosa trusts him implicitly and maybe that's why rigetti is there as he's able to function as part of the crew like that in that kind of childlike state sometimes is because the pirates of the caribbean expanded universe i think 
it was Rigetti is like the son-in-law or somehow ended up related by some marriage with Pintel. So there is a, a link there between those two. Oh, and Pintel is kind of maybe ushering him along into this kind of pirate life. Yeah. Like he's supposed Taking to be him like under a father wing. figure to Rigetti? Uh, kind of to a point, but or not, like I don't think it goes. Yeah. More like yeah. a mentor, but there is a relationship there. That was some kind of family thing. And I don't recall what it is offhand. I'd have to dig through my notes, but hmm. I think there was by marriage that they became kind of related family wise. And then they started sticking together. I've always wondered what Rigetti did to gain Barbosa's trust because he must trust him completely and right. implicitly. Because right. of the, Yeah, it is interesting because somebody like that, and I don't know, and this kind of maybe comes back to At World's End where we find out, and this is a spoiler, of what the pieces of eight were for the this pirate court. I can't think of what it's called right now, actually. Is it it's the court of pirate court, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, where they had to all have like their pieces of eight to kind of initiate things and Rigetti has been holding on to Barbosa's pieces of eight this whole time. Mm-hmm. Also like the idea that Barbosa was Jack's first mate also calls into question like why Barbosa had a seat at that table. Oh. Maybe he was a captain before he was before he joined Jack's, Jack. Yeah. Oh that's a good Did question. Did Barbosa lose his entire crew and join Jack? <laughs> that sucks. And just stole Jack's crew. <laughs> Maybe that's why he trusted the island. He's all, I've left a ton of people here before. And nobody's ever gotten off. And now Jack has gotten off twice. What the heck is going on here? But yeah, that's a good question, though, actually. Maybe, I guess that'll happen in, what, season three of Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. <laughs> so we have yeah. to examine what's going on with Barbosa at the seat at that table. Maybe, I wonder if a Barbosa origin movie is one of the, what, like five movies they said they have planned or something? Just more movies coming down yeah. the pipeline. Even it though is. all the marketing for the fifth one says the final chapter. <laughs> yeah, we were wondering about that. It's just some big marketing ploy to get you invested well, maybe to go see it again and to build it back up. Maybe it's the last movie with Johnny Depp. We thought about that, too, yeah. that they've been trying to work to transition him to the next generation. And that's the thing. Can they do that? Or, you know, how much is Jack Sparrow as this pop culture icon and related to Pirates of the Caribbean, can they really transition that right away? Or is it going to have to continue to be, say, a gradual transition over a couple of movies? Maybe that's the final saga. They're saying that, yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean 6, and maybe that's where they roll Johnny Depp out and really start to then focus on the next generation if they were to continue on into a seventh movie. I don't know. I just, I feel like someone at Disney... In the marketing department is shooting themselves in the foot now <laughs> about doing that. <laughs> Been doing what really well internationally, but so, not so much here in the in the domestic box office. So I guess it'll be interesting to see if they really take that and how right. far they go with that series. Or if they're just getting people back used to it. Because even the first Curse of the Black Pearl was a good success, but the other ones really surpassed that. I mean, obviously not adjusted for inflation or anything like that, but they really kind of hit that billion dollar mark. Whereas Curse of the Black Pearl was more 650 million or so. Yeah. So if they get everybody warmed back up in the international market screaming for it too, then definitely we'll see the continued franchise. I also always felt like this movie just had a really fine ending to just stand on its own. 
I agree. Yeah. Yeah, like, you can go yeah. in and see it and that's it. You don't have you're not left wondering about all the different characters. Maybe except at the end credit with a spoiler for a monkey, but mm-hmm. yeah. that's about it. This is the first time that you really saw pirates in kind of a supernatural element come to fruition. Been other some stop motion things, but nothing just like a true swashbuckler like this. It's just a pirate movie. Actually succeeded off of a ride, which is pretty crazy yeah. to, mm-hmm. to think that they did that. And especially when pirate movies had not been doing as well or had kind of started to disappear and you hadn't really seen a, any of those that, that came back. Like when was the la- what was the last movie that was like a swashbuckling movie that was like big? Was it like Hook with Robin Williams? Was that it? Maybe. Or was that Cutthroat Island? That, oh, I'm trying to think of what year Hook would be. Hook's they the might 80s, be right? around this. I think Hook's the mid- early Hook? 90s, isn't it? I don't know. Is Hook so, 92 maybe is Hook? And then it's, it's Cutthroat Island would... Cutthroat Island would be nineteen what nineteen ninety five ish. I never saw Cutthroat Island until a couple years ago. I finally had seen it. Hooks ninety one. Hooks ninety one. Think that that's maybe kind of that res- that brought back a a pirate genre. But even then, you don't see too many pirate movies even now. Besides this franchise, at least that are at a box office or a theater that are drawing in the big dollars. Right. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having us on. We had a lot of fun. I want to remind everybody where they can find you, where they can go get all their Lord of the Rings fix. Yeah. So we're from the website, uh, duelinggenre.com, or you can find us, lordoftheringsminute.com. And we're also on Twitter, at L-O-T-R Minute. Thanks so much and for joining us. So Cassandra and Norman, it's been a complete pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. You're welcome. So we'll be back tomorrow with Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Now get us some grog. We could all use some grog. Hi, <laughs> a <best>. Jolly, jolly <laughs> grog. Heather, no surprise to find you in the tavern with a tankard full of rum in your hand. What was that for? You said you were going to meet me at the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute Cursed Listeners Crew Facebook group hours ago. I was... Mother's love, why'd you slap me again? That's for not reminding people how to contact us. Get to it, you filthy bilge rat. Man, I obviously get no respect around here. So scallywags, thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. If you're interested in best-of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are on blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy. Black Pearl Minute.